Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Laurie Schechter. So Laurie is the Executive Vice President and Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel at McKesson Corporation, just a small company, Fortune 10 out of the Fortune 500. I think they're number nine, in fact. Um, It's a fantastic story. Um, Laurie takes us through the early part of her career where she was a partner, uh, litigation partner at Morrison Forster, and she, in fact, headed up the litigation department for about four years there. And her journey from that role to... Um, joining McKesson, and now she's been uh, the general counsel there for over eight years. Um, It's a fantastic discussion. She tells us um, what the early days were like at the law firm and um, the transition over to McKesson, why she she made that change where she could have easily continued on being one of the um, uh, one of the most accomplished litigators um, in the US, but she didn't. She took another, another path, and I love the story as to why. Um, if I was to sum up, um, Laurie, how would I? How do I describe her? So much more than a CLO and a general counsel. So, in the usual fashion, and I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Sit back, chillax, and do enjoy the episode. Bye bye for now. Laurie, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on board. It's going to be a fantastic discussion. I can feel it. Uh, well, Jim, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. Fantastic. Uh, now, Laurie, currently um, you're the, of course, Executive Vice President and, and my Senior Legal Officer at McKesson Corp. And I think you've held that position for about eight years and you've been there for about 10. But that that's not the whole um, Laurie Schechter story, is it? There was there was a life before McKesson. Take us way back. Tell us how you got interested in law in the first place. And then we're going to jump into your time as a partner, of course, in uh, Morrison Forces. So, but take us back to your early days. What got you interested in law in the first place? Okay. Uh, well, see, that would go all the way back to when I was in college. And during college, I spent a semester in Washington, D.C., working for Common Cause, which was um, an organization that advocated for democratic principles with both policy and litigation. And while I was an intern there, they actually had a case in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, and they let the interns go watch uh, the case be argued. So I actually got to see Archibald Cox argue on behalf of Common Cause. And he was a former solicitor general. He was the solicitor general in the Kennedy administration and then very active in the Watergate scandal. So he was a name of notoriety to me. And I was really excited to watch him argue before the Supreme Court. And, you know, there were no lawyers in my family at the time. And at at seeing him argue and uh, the uh, attention that he got from the Supreme Court justices because of the role that he used to have beforehand was just mesmerizing. And it's what made me think, God, I would love to do that. I probably couldn't do the exact same thing that he did. (laughs) Yep, yep. I would love to do that. So that's what made me think I wanted to go to law school. I love those stories. Those They're kind of accidental opportunities or um, times where you're exposed to something you never thought you would be and suddenly, bang, the entire trajectory of your um, life, your career um, uh, starts getting laid out for you uh, or changes or, or – or, um, but that – I mean, that they are fantastic – fantastically inspirational stories. I love that. And that's why I always talk about the more things you can expose yourself to when you're young, especially in the college and university years, the better off because you don't know, you don't know where you're going to go. Yeah, well, and that was the sort of springboard of me thinking about using law uh, in service of the community, I mean, because that's certainly what Common Cause was doing. So when I was in law school, um, I was really interested in their um, clinical programs that they had there. And uh, actually helped start one at the law school I was at uh, to help the homeless population in the city of New Haven. So that was sort of my you know, first foray into thinking about um, the, the use of law in, in a really positive way. So that then led me to, I did a clerkship and then 
Um, on a lark, I decided to go to San Francisco and work for a law firm, um, having never lived in San Francisco before. I never thought I would stay, uh, but I picked Morrison and Forster because it had you know, a great pro bono program that seemed really interested in um, doing things with the community, great litigation department, which I was really interested in. And that's where I met my husband. So I decided, I guess I am going to stay in California, much to my parents' dismay, since I grew up in New York and they were thinking, where is she going? Uh, but I um, ended up staying in San Francisco and uh, becoming a partner at Morrison and Forster. Fantastic. You don't, probably don't know this, Laurie, but I've met my wife similarly at the law firm that I worked at. Uh, and that was now 30 years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, so. Um, That's um, uh, that's, and and I love those stories. I have to say, Um, you got to be careful nowadays, particularly if anyone's in a position of power. But those, you know, we spend so much time um, at the office, particularly in those early years where you're carving out a career for yourself. Yeah, Um, that's funny uh, that you say that comment because my husband used to say um, when I. Uh, was going to become chair of the litigation department. He knew he had to leave or else he'd be working for his wife. Um, and so he left the firm. He uh, left. Worked somewhere else and I stayed and um, uh, and uh, became head of the litigation department for, for four years. And, um, you know, obviously that was a wonderful opportunity. But it, it is funny how... Um, uh, when you're a young lawyer uh, in a law firm, sometimes you don't see the light of day very often, and that's where you meet your spouses. Yep, no, no, absolutely. So let's do a bit of a deeper dive in that, you know, significant part of your career. So over 20 years there um, uh, at, uh, at Morrison Forster. Tell me about when you reflect on that period, um, also as the head of litigation department, what are the... What, what stays with you today? What do you think are the most kind of formative lessons um, that you learned? Um, I'll start with there. And then I might ask you, what, what, um, the second question is, what, what do you wish you knew or you implemented from those lessons a little earlier that, that, than you might have? So let, let, let's, let's talk about the lessons and the key takeaways for you. Sure. Um, well, definitely teamwork um, because, um, you know, at, at – firms like that, you have the opportunity to put together a team to represent your clients. Uh, And um, it's both a great opportunity to hear new ideas and brainstorm about things. It's a great opportunity to train younger attorneys and give them the opportunity to grow and develop. And, you know, I know I can think of mentors that I had at the law firm who went out of their way to give me opportunities. Um, you know, we would have a, a matter and they would say, OK, you argue this issue for the client. Uh, and uh, that, that's where you really learn about career pathing and, and, and how to help build the next generation. So definitely learn that uh, in private practice. And, uh, you know, I, I loved being in court uh, when I was a litigator. And, and so it was a great opportunity to, you know, think on your feet, prepare for the question that, you know, you, you're dreading. Um, and and really um, get a sense of what matters most in any case because there's so many different issues in every single there case. Are, there, there, there is nothing like, um, uh, I think, being on your feet um, and being challenged and debating um, with multiple, uh, uh, sometimes with multiple, whether it's judges or arbitrators. Um, and for me, it was the sense, the focus... It's hard to, it's kind of hard to, for me, it was always hard to replicate outside of that environment. Um, You are so attuned, you are so focused. Um, It is a real, it's a real experience, certainly for litigators. Um, It is, I think, the ultimate of what um, uh, a number of us as litigators aspire for when you're, when it's just you um, uh, and, you know, you and the court uh, and your advocate. Too. So um, you're opposing advocate. Yes. So uh, all really, really great experiences that I, I really loved and loved the opportunity to do pro bono work when I was there. Um, they had a very strong pro bono program and I was able to do a number of cases there uh, pro bono, which, you know, again, was a great way of thinking about 
uh, giving back to the community and, and using law for that purpose. And so that was a great, a great place to do it. And again, on the team, it's funny. The team is the um, uh, is the kind of the message, and the that's what seems to stay with us. I think after that part of our, we don't. I always say we don't typically think about that big win that we had. What we typically think about is the team that grew, um, uh, that you helped mentor that you created white space for and they grew into. Um, that's the stuff that you end up being really proud of and remembering. Well, and, you know, and the other thing about that is seeing how everyone had a different style. Um, and in a, lo- a large law firm where you get exposure to a lot of talented people, you know, from all walks of life, you, you, really, you really learn that, Sometimes you have to have your own style and it may not be the same, but you're still achieving the same purpose. And it was good to see that variety. It was good to have the opportunities in different settings, different clients. So all really great experiences for um, how to succeed at whatever task you have, how to solve a problem, whatever problem you were facing. So, so anything that you would, two things, do differently um, uh, and perhaps start earlier now um, in that part of your career now with the benefit of hindsight? Well, I, I mean, for sure, the thing that comes to mind from my experience in-house that I really didn't have uh, in private practice that, you know, now I think I actually could have, and that's to get out of my comfort zone. Uh, because, you know, I was in the litigation department and I was going to be a litigator. We had a litigation department, we had a business department and never the, the two shall cross. And, and I, uh, I very much was focused on one area, uh, one skill set. And, you know, really when you go to law school and you learn how to be a leader and you learn how to solve problems, it's not necessarily just in litigation. It's really in problem solving and advice giving and, uh, you know, addressing comprehensive issues. And I very much had a litigation mindset for 23 years. And that's what I, that's what I knew. And it became second nature to me to think like, like a litigator and think about, you know, what the court's response would be as opposed to what the public's response would be as opposed to, you know, what the uh, other constituents that I now feel I have in a company you know, your shareholders and, you know, regulators and, and, a, and a whole variety of other constituents that when I was in private practice, I'm not sure I thought about nearly as much as I do now. Because you typically you weren't measured by it. It didn't typically define all part of the definition of success. Um, I think that uh, I think the way um, certainly the way you're awarded, the way you're seen as successful as a litigator, it, it, well, certainly in the past has been narrower. Now you do have the certainly the the court of public opinion um, uh, being more pervasive than it otherwise was, and you've got you know ESG. You've got a whole lot of other um, uh, kind of external factors that you do need to take into account. But I, I I'm not surprised entirely to hear. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear what you've said because I, th- I think, you know, during certainly, dr- certainly during that time, that's how you were measured, and that's what success looked like was much narrower. Yeah, um, so may- that that might dovetail nicely into so you're at the peak of your career. There's 20 plus years there. You're the head of the litigation department. You could continue, no doubt, being incredibly successful, one of the best litigators in the country but you decide not to. So take me through that and the thought process and why the shift from um, a really successful position um, to something which would have been completely outside of your comfort zone, presumably, and when you moved to McKesson. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes life has a funny way of uh, suggesting something else to you. So um, I, um, I had since... Uh, 2005, been representing McKesson Corporation uh, in one of their very significant litigation matters that ended up lasting about 10 years. Um, and I, um, 
I remember being at some uh, event or meeting with the then general counsel uh, who said to me, you know, our head of litigation, who was the client representative I dealt with most uh, at McKesson, that they were um, going to retire. And gee, would I ever consider, you know, coming in house? Um, and I was a little surprised by the question, you know, and as you say, I, I was not at this point where I was thinking of doing something else because I was feeling like I was doing really well. I had lots of clients and, you know, McKesson was a significant client that I was able to um, bring to the firm. And, you know, I, I so I, I remember saying to her, you know, well, my husband and I always talk about chapter two, but we usually think about what are we going to do when our kids are out of the house and, you know, we're thinking about what's our retirement plan. I really thought about that. And so I said, oh, I would think about it. Um, and I kept thinking, you know, it was this kind of a double-edged sword. Like here was a client I didn't want to lose as a client. And I kind of liked um, them as my client along with others. So I, I didn't want to upset them by saying, I would never think of going at even, even though that might have been your very first kind of blink instinctive reaction, well, why would I leave? Where I, 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 I'm not sure if that was the case, but that... I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, well, I think there was a part of that. And, yeah. and I said, well, you know, let me think about it. And, and so we started this dance, this, this dialogue, this dance that went on uh, for several months. Um, and then at one point she said, you know, come over. And, you know, I had already had the opportunity to meet the CEO um, in the context of the litigation I was doing, but you know, hadn't met the CFO. And she said, come over and meet some of the senior leadership. And I, and I did. I had the great fortune that McKesson, uh, the McKesson headquarters was four blocks from my law firm. Uh, so I didn't have to go far. In fact, sure, I'll walk down the block and I'll, and I'll go, go meet. And I met with a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, I, and I sort of said, yeah, this is interesting. And then we started talking about what that might be like. Uh, and then um, life changed for me dramatically. I um, just completely unrelated to all of this. I had a very serious bicycle accident. Um, in um, uh, the fall of 2010. And she and I had started this, this conversation probably earlier that year, uh, maybe you know, around January of that year. And uh, I knew that the head of litigation was planning to retire uh, by the end of their fiscal year. So it would have been in March of 2011. And, um, you know, this bicycle accident really threw me. I, you know, I, they told me, thank goodness I was wearing a helmet, um, but it was certainly life-threatening. Um, and um, uh, I remember sending a note to the general counsel saying, you know what, I, I appreciate the interest, but I am in no position to think about doing anything right now. Um, you know, I know Rich wants to retire. You should probably, you know, look for other people. And um, she wrote me back and she said, I talked to Rich and he said he'd wait. And I thought, wow, like, you know, if you're ever going to think about a company that you might want to work for, here's a company that was so invested in me and yeah. so thoughtful about their process that they said they would wait for me. And so I, I was um, stunned by that. And, you know, after having a serious accident like that where, you know, you think about, you know, thank God I was wearing a helmet. You think about, oh, my God, you know, that could have been it. Um, I, uh, I thought for the first time if I was ever going to try something new, um, this is an opportunity. This is maybe a gift. This is a law firm. This is a company that's four blocks away from my law firm um, where I, you know, I, I had already met the CEO and the uh, senior leadership, and I had represented them in a big case. And I thought, you know, I really, I, it was a healthcare company. I really felt aligned with their mission and what they were trying to do in the healthcare space. And so I, I, I came back and I said to her, uh, okay, I'll keep going on the process. And I, I dare say we spent the whole next year going through you know, an interview process and so forth. And I was actually sponsoring some people to be made partner that year. And I told her I wouldn't leave until they made partner. Uh, and then I said, okay. And uh, the head of litigation uh, planned his retirement for a year later than he had originally planned. And 
we overlapped for a month and I became the head of the litigation uh, department at McKesson. That, that's a cracking story. And But tell me that what, what, it's a new opportunity, it's a, a chapter two. What was kind of missing um, or you hadn't experienced in chapter one, if you like, that you're thinking, um, I want to try something different because just staying at the pinnacle of what I'm doing what clearly wasn't enough. Um, so just uh, I want to explore that, Laurie. What, what was it that you thought you'd be able to get in that, in that new phase um, that you hadn't, get, you hadn't had in, um, uh, at your law firm days? Yeah, I really think it was the notion of really getting to know a client like I had never known before, really getting to be part of the mission and the purpose and um, how they performed and what they performed. And I think that really got me interested. And, you know, honestly, I cheated a little because I always thought, well, if I don't like it, I can always go back. They'll take me back because it was a client of the firm. So, you know, they won't be mad at me. And I you know, you reach a point at when somebody, something just goes off in you and says, you, you should try it now because you'll never do it if you don't try it now. And I have to say, it was not that long after being at McKesson that I could really see what I was going to experience that I didn't experience before. And, and really, the simplest way to put that is it actually forced me to get out of my comfort zone. So I went to, to head litigation uh, but within a short period of time, the general counsel said, well, we should broaden your, your remit and, you know, put you in charge of the uh, intellectual property group and the employment law group and our treasury legal team. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I'm getting out of my comfort zone here. Um, and I thought, why would I want to do that? And she kept saying, you know, if you, if you would be interested in ever, you know, wanting to be general counsel or really getting to know what we do and how to change that, you should start experiencing this. And, you know, it was the sort of first introduction to um, stepping out of my comfort zone and taking on a new challenge. And, you know, I, and I, I, I loved it. And uh, it was really fun to sort of think about leading uh, from a platform of it's not my it's not my specific subject matter expertise in litigation that people want to hear. It's leadership skills. It's, you know, bringing teams together, figuring out who the right person is in the right time, figuring out how to connect and partner with the business on whatever problem that they had, not necessarily because it was a litigation matter, but because they wanted the legal department to help with something. And how could I, could I best put that together? Uh, and then, you know, um, perhaps in the back of the general counsel's mind, she, she knew. Uh, but within a very short period of time, she announced that she was leaving the company and I was interviewed to replace her as the general counsel. And really just a short period of time after joining to head the litigation department, I became the general counsel in 2014. Oh, Laurie, I, so I love that story for so many reasons. I'm going to pick a couple of them. One is the lessons that we learn from getting out of our comfort zone. Um, because that's where the growth is, that's where the learning is, that's where the, I think, the real opportunity is. And, um, you know, being an incredibly successful litigator, no one could ever have criticised you for not leaving and continuing on that path and being the best litigator in the land. But, and I don't know whether for you that was any of, well, I'm actually pretty comfortable what I'm doing. I'm not really, really stretching myself anymore I wonder what it's like if I did and what else I can learn. To me, that that mindset and that, there's got to be, there's some courage there. You had a bit of a safety net, um, but it takes courage. But I think that's where all the rewards are. And that's what I try, you know, when I talk to anyone early in their career, later in the career, I talk about being comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, you know, and that just continued in private in uh, um, private uh, corporation, public corporation, but it continued in my career at McKesson much more so than it ever would have in, in private practice. And, and then it becomes, 
it then it becomes a bit addictive, which is great because that's where the real growth is because the opportunity, sorry, the confidence at least to take the opportunity where you don't have the specific skill set, you're not the world's best litigator in, in that particular kind of litigation. In fact, you haven't done it before, but you get the confidence in relation to understanding what you're doing is solving business problems. Um, and, um, yeah, and solving business problems with leadership and experience and bringing the right resources, the frameworks, um, the ability to inspire and motivate and drive and get the best out of um, people around you and make them you know, make them do things they th- didn't think they were capable of. All. That's that's leadership, um, and, and I think that's uh, that certainly sounds like um, what what you've experienced. Yeah. Well, and and because of the type of company that McKesson is, and my, I, I do think they were really open to broadening um, the experience for everybody, um, and so. Um, uh, one, one of the um, great things that I love about my job now is it's not just the law department. You know, I used to have this joke when we made the change that, you know, we're not your grandma's law department anymore because now uh, my department also includes public affairs. It includes brand marketing and communications uh, and the compliance department and, and governance in, in many ways. And so because of that, uh, we really got the opportunity to change the whole way we think about um, our own vision for our role in the company. And we went from being, you know, a law department really focused on risk mitigation and risk management issues uh, to being a department that was going to be very focused on value creation in some way. You know, how do you make that transformation from, you know, just being uh, responsive to being proactive um, to the type of business issues that the company was facing. And that became so much more interesting uh, and, and an opportunity that I never would have had in private practice. Well, it's a nice segue because I was just going to say, um, you know, your responsibility does um, uh, extend well beyond law. Public, like you've said, public affairs, compliance, brand, marketing, communications, corporate, the secretarial functions, governance, um, and of course, McKesson is just a small corporation. I think um, probably Fortune ten now, or something for number nine out of the Fortune five hundred. So, tell me, how do you how do you manage that level of kind of responsibility and the breadth of that responsibility um, on on a day to day, month to month, and year to year basis? How do you get your arms um, around that, Laurie? Yeah, um, you know. You take a deep breath and you be willing to go outside your comfort zone. I, I mean, I, I think that it, it comes back to that over and over again. But, I, you know, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think um, there's a couple of things that, you know, I've been in this role, you know, for a number of years now. So there's a couple of things that I think I've had as takeaways um, that have been most effective. I mean, one is to, to really um, have just a few core priorities for what you're trying to do. And the first one is always people and culture. Um, and that's, you know, thinking about career pathing for your team and um, collaboration efforts and opportunities for people to stretch and you know, get exposure to different things, different people in the company, and really feel tied to the purpose of the company. I mean, that's really the cultural part. But, you know, McKesson most recently really did some work on de- redefining, you know, their purpose as advancing health outcomes for all. Um, and that's really something inspirational to so many people in terms of thinking how whatever they're doing at the time really has some impact on health outcomes. Uh, and so focusing on the culture, you know, became really important. We found really great ways to do that. You know, another area is just supporting and strengthening the core services that we provide of legal compliance, public affairs, brand marketing, communications, with simplification and focus. Uh, and you know, you can imagine budgets are always squeezed when you go from being um, what I was in a law firm, which was a profit center, to being a cost center in a company. Um, and thinking about the most uh, simple uh, ways to do things gets harder and harder every year. Um, so that's a second, you know, key priority that we're always focusing on. And 
And then I'd say the third is really supporting the company's growth initiatives, you know, wherever the company, because McKesson, as you know, large company has uh, been in multiple different areas of the healthcare ecosystem has really put a focus on oncology now and biopharma services. And it's really trying to advance healthcare in those areas. And that requires new skill sets from my team, new focus, you know, so making sure you're staying on top of where the business is. So if you take those three things, you know, the people and culture, the just strengthening the core way you deliver the services and aligning everything that you do with the growth of the company, that helps. That helps. And so I was actually going to ask you about the priorities and you've laid those out clearly. Have they changed over your tenure as the as the GC? What were the priorities earlier you know, in that part of your career, and has it changed um, to, to, to what you've outlined now? Yeah, I, it's it's a great question because I would think I think about those three things, and I think back when I first started this, we were doing all those things, but without any backbone on that. So we were, of course, we were thinking about our people, but we weren't. We didn't have the same focus as tying the opportunities people had to making them feel a real part of the purpose of the company. And, you know, for sure, we were always trying to strengthen our services, but didn't think about what's the most efficient way to do it. What's the the simplification we can do that will provide that opportunity. And I don't think we really had the same focus on the partnership with the business when I first started and making that a core uh, a core tenet of what this department was going to do has really become a much more important focus and it's made us stronger. I mean, we now do these customer satisfaction surveys um, and I, you know, I think over the last few years we have completely hit it out of the ballpark because instead of just waiting to find out, you know, what can we do to help the business where friends that are asking for a seat at the table, hearing, about the initiative they want to go on, raising questions early, you know, offering advice and counsel early, really becoming a true partner with the business in ways that I, I don't think we were as focused on when we first started this journey. And so I, I think the priorities haven't changed, but how we delivered them have tra- changed quite a bit. Yeah. And it, I, I love the, um, the notion of keeping it simple, identifying the three that you've talked about and and what ends up happening is they end up being touchstones or guideposts so that when you've got difficult questions and when you're asking yourself what direction or what you should do to solve a particular problem, being able to go back and say, well, what, we're here to be delivering value to business. Is the strategy we're talking about doing that or is that actually hindering or is it is it only tangential? So it just makes it – it provides the framework, I think, for decision-making and that is really powerful because that's easily – um, then spread throughout the whole team. They know the framework um, and decisions can be kind of tested against it or um, uh, benchmarked against it. It just, it's easy for people to understand and, and digest. And that's what, and that simplification, that's what we all, all need. There's only so much <laughs> uh, with, with, with everyone's list of things to do. There's only so much you can, I think, um, uh, deliver on and um, so I look I like the approach I, I, I think it's fantastic and crystallizing it for everyone on the team provides those gu- guide guideposts that I talked about yeah uh, yeah and I think there was a there was another fun thing that we did um, that I think really helped us think about the transition from just being risk mitigators to being value adders and that was um, uh, really focusing on the shades of gray of the issues that we were facing. You know, it's sort of easy when you thought about, okay, black and white, ask the law department, can we do this, yes or no? And and the businesses would always make jokes about, oh, that's just the no department, you know, they'll just say no. Um, and so we really spent some time in my department thinking about what it means to face the type of issues that are more typical, which is shades of gray as to how you balance the risk and the reward of any particular business um, decision or initiative that they may want to focus on. And so we spend a lot of time about how do you, how do we make decisions in in that regard? And, and it's sort of the, you know, a lot of people use this phrase that it's, it's not 
you stop saying no, you say yes and uh, make sure you do this, this and this so that you can do it in the least risky way. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a journey to try and really get people to figure out, okay, how do they ask the right questions? How do they convene the right decision makers to help weigh in when they have something that's not a shade of gray? And are they asking the right questions? Are they getting the right input so that they're really weighing now the risk mitigation and the value creation so that they're helping the company make well-informed decisions because there's a lot more risk in everything we do now. And so rather than just being the, the department of no, we became a real partner then when we started focusing on that aspect of it. And, and it's typically not a skill set that's developed at law school or, or even in law firms. Um, I think law firms are probably getting a little bit better at it now and, and some um, uh, uh, some law firm partners are, are very good at it. But I, I just don't think – I think it's not the environment that um, you're exposed to in the corporate where the shades of grey are real because they then translate to dollars and business opportunities. So it's easy, it's easy to say, well, no, that would be illegal because of X or there's a – no, sorry, there's a risk and because of the risk you can't do it. That can't be an answer. <laughs> Yeah, or when I was in private practice, it was there's a risk you decide. It's like so. There's this That's whole not, other. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Dimension that once you're in the company and you are the client, that's just not helpful, and that just doesn't move the dial. And so we really worked on how do we help the businesses really make informed decisions where they're weighing risks and opportunities with all of the expertise that my team brings to bear, even from, you know, from the law department to the public affairs department to the communications and marketing department. And it really took bringing together subject matter experts to help them make the most informed decisions possible. And that's where we were really adding value. I like the way you put that. There's a risk you decide. Done. We're done. We're done. Here's the risk, 30%, 20%, whatever the law firm, you decide. That's not very helpful. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, again, that's a nice segue into what do you look for, um, Laurie, in your in your law firms today? What, what what stands out for you, and what are you looking for in that business partnership um, with law firms? Yeah, I, I mean, business partnership is definitely the right phrase. I look for firms that want to get to know my company what our business is, what we're trying to do, rather than just look at the narrow issue I might be presenting to them um, when I retain them. I, I want them to be a, a long-term partner with us. And so we, we try and limit the number of firms that uh, we put on our preferred provider list because we want to partner with firms that are truly invested in us as a company and what we're trying to achieve. Because I think well, A, you know, you save money because they don't have to reinvent the wheel every matter you give them learning the company. But B, they become more, um, more advocates for the company and they are able to help us um, make decisions on things because they understand us better. And so I really look for uh, companies that are willing to invest in us. Um, I, you know, I look for companies that are committed to diversity and giving opportunities at all levels. I think that's really important, and we, uh, you know, we definitely um, score our law firms in that way by making sure they are putting together diverse teams and giving opportunities, um, not overstaffing for sure, but really making good use of, you know, I don't need five partners on one issue. I'd like to see your associates, and I'd like to meet them. I'd like them to to, to be on calls and 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 speak up so that I can I can see how you're developing them. You know, I have the advantage of having lived that world. Know they can do it, um, and the the law firms we partner with do it well, and we we very much uh, appreciate that partnership. And um. fantastic. And when you think about um, law firms, but the profession more broadly, and you think about the challenges ahead, um, what what do you think are some of what do you think are some of the key future challenges in in law generally? But if you Anything specific to, to law firms and anything specific to in-house teams? Um, what, what do you think about in terms of challenges? Um, you know, I, I would put it as opportunities rather than challenges. I think corporations have gotten 
much more comfortable having larger law departments with um, uh, more in-house capabilities, less reliance on outside firms, or at least closer to the business contact to help on the issues. I think that's really important. And I think, you know, and I, you know, obviously my department's a reflection of this. I think they, at least I'd like to believe, I know McKesson does, they really see the benefit of integrating their public affairs and their communications team and their marketing team with the legal remit and the, and the compliance teams because, you know, I, I think the combined subject matter expertise is so much more powerful for the company. So I think the notion of building a stronger in-house capability for the company uh, is uh, definitely something of the future. I mean, that said, you know, I, I've certainly been asked, you know, is there any artificial intelligence we can use to, you know, reduce this? And, you know, are, are, there, are there other ways we can do this? And, you know, certainly we've been doing that with, you know, uh, document review uh, for large cases and litigation and so forth. But I, I do think, and I'd like to believe it's true elsewhere, that there's a greater appreciation of how much value you can build in-house um, in the company itself to really deliver the, that kind of support for the company. And, and I, I think we're seeing that trend too. We're seeing, I, I think we are seeing a trend where the general counsel's office, if you like, is taking a greater level of responsibility, including the, the entire ESG space, um, which is at the core now of priorities for, um, uh, for corporations globally. So, um, and I, t- to me, it is an enormous opportunity for legal to broaden, broaden its remit. And I can see you're clearly going down that path, and there are, you know, there are other, um, obviously other GCs that are doing the same. And I think that experience, the, uh, it's funny. Somebody described it at a, at a um, presentation that I was at another day, uh, the other day. Um, the general counsel um, described it as dispensing common sense amongst the organisation. <laughs> now that might sound a little flippant, but it was really just about the experience um, and the the learnings, the trainings, and um, the respect that that particular general counsel had developed. Um, and um, uh, she had confessed that she hadn't dispensed legal advice for a while, <laughs> uh, but it was across a broad remit um, of, uh, of functions um, along the lines that we're talking about. Yeah, and you know, and just on a completely unrelated um, vein, but very much relevant to what you're saying, I think the other thing that we are seeing more of, and that certainly has been really impactful my experience as a GC has been um, the importance of building a partnership with the government on a variety of different issues. This notion of a public-private partnership uh, has come up uh, in multiple ways in my experience as GC and building that relationship um, so that you view um, the government not just as the regulators looking over you but really as either clients or just as partners in solving some of the toughest issues uh, that, you know, the country might be facing. And, and I've had that come up in, in multiple ways at McKesson. Uh, and it really has transformed how we think about what our role is for the company and more broadly. It's funny, when you say it, it almost sounds so obvious listening to it. Of course, that is the, the approach you should be taking, a partnership um, collaborative, um, uh, essentially helping forge a path for what, let's say, what the regulatory environment should be looking like. And here's all the experience that we can bring um, uh, to, uh, to to identify at least what the paths are and helping choose, um, helping the government choose what the right path is. So rather than this is perhaps a more combat- combative um, approach, uh, no doubt, easy to say, hard to do, but it, it makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, well, I, and, you know, and in our case, sometimes it starts in that combative approach. You know, I can, I, you know, I think the most um, salient example of that is, you know, the opioid epidemic in this country. 
uh, and you know McKesson being one of multiple healthcare companies that was sued in a thousand lawsuits dealing with opioids, and then at some point you you just have this feeling like I, I remember something my CEO at the time said, you know, let's stop the blame game and start the solution game. And we really invested time in terms of thinking about how can we partner um, to help solve the opioid crisis in this country? How can we partner in a way that uh, puts all of the energies that are being spent on, you know, case after case after case to a more productive use? And that was you know, a real learning experience and a real inspiring example of changing, you know, the negative to the positive. And just think about what that does to the, the, the basically the morale of the entire corporation. Um, what would you rather be doing? Um, fighting a cause, which is a blame game, <laughs> or um, working on a solution um. Yeah, it, it, it's um. When, when you when you're provided those two stark choices, you know it's pretty easy uh, where you should be landing. Um, fantastic, Laurie. I'm going to finish off with some of my favourite questions. Um, uh, what's the hardest thing you've ever done, personally or professionally, that you're happy to share with us? Uh, well, you know, honestly, I think I said it already. That's right. getting out of my yep. comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have to say, uh, you know, expanding beyond legal, let alone litigation, um, has was hard. But, oh, my God, the most exhilarating, interesting aspect of what I've done over the last few years, for sure. And, again, I'm going to double down it because I love saying it. That's what people should be, you should be getting out of your comfort zone because that's where the growth is. That's where the fun is. That's, with, that's where the, the r- real understanding of what you're capable of. Um, yeah, so I love that. Um, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection has not been time well spent? Oh, God, that's got to be revealing that I don't actually uh, know um, all the answers and I'm out of my comfort zone. I, you know, it's, it's this notion of, it goes back to the same thing. You can do what I did for 23 years where at some point it's the back of your hand. You, you know, you just, you just know what the litigation instinct is and you know what the steps are to get there. And then you can say, okay, I'm now, I'm now standing here um, outside my comfort zone, you know, wondering do I go left? Do I go right? And just learning to trust your instincts and your gut. Um, I, I wish I did that earlier. Uh, I wasn't so afraid to uh, reveal that I might be outside my comfort zone and just trust my gut. And being okay that if your gut ends up being wrong, the likelihood is it's not going to be life and death and you're course correct. Uh, I, I think... That, that's a lesson I kind of wish I'd learned a bit earlier. And that's what I try to talk to those younger in their careers about. That's okay. Um, you might not get it right. Um, and, but unless, but typically, if you're ambitious, smart, dedicated, you're course correct um, and you grow during the process. Um, you're willing to fail, but fail fast. Yeah, c- c- correct. Yeah. Um, uh, Last question, anything that keeps you up at night now? Aside from my husband snoring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I have to say it's, uh, it's the political dynamics and uncertainty that's going on in this country. You know, sort of feeling like um, things I used to hold sacred uh, are at risk now and not knowing the direction and, and what role I should be playing in the uncertainty that I think is surrounding so many people on so many issues. There's just been um, a lot of very, very challenging things in the last year. And I, I, and honestly, it's not just me, my team, I feel it in my team. They have, you know, it's one thing, you know, everyone uh, during COVID working from home. And so we found new ways to connect and, 
Um, but that was stressful itself. But then all the other issues that have come right on top of that, you know, school shootings and um, things. I, I, there's a there's an undercurrent of all of my colleagues about the uncertainty that we feel like we're living in, like we've never felt before. And I do think that's weighing on everyone's mind. Yeah, and I think it's 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 almost more than an undercurrent. It's it now it's starting to feel really pervasive um, in everything we do. We think about um, uh, what's ahead of us, where should we live, where should we raise our children, all of that. And, and just thinking, thinking about the burden on everyone, in a sense, of depending upon what stage of life they're at there, um, their own personal anxiety levels, where they are, economic security, all of that, um, uh, and that, you know, particularly the last couple of years, and of course, um, uh, uh, what, what, what's happening um, oh, on the whole geopolitical scale, it, it is an immense burden, I think, on everyone. Um, and you know, on top of that, they've got to come, they've got to show up to work remote or in person, and perform every day. Um, so I don't think that's something we can underestimate, actually. And I, my, my sense is, Laurie, that that's still got some time to kind of play out, and I'm not sure how that will play out. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's well put, and I think that's what's keeping everybody up at night. Sometimes I end on this sombre note, Laurie, and I don't, I don't intend to, but, um, look, it's been absolutely marvellous speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had an absolute blast. Yeah, same here. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me. Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs>